Jonah for today, and if you have not been around or it's been a little bit, you've kind of forgotten, just briefly recap the story. Uh, God begins this book by inviting Jonah to go share his love with others, and Jonah decides that he would rather die than to take part in God's love for other people. So Jonah runs, he ends up in the belly of a whale, still doesn't get it. Crazy story, he jumps out, he finally decides to obey God. You can imagine him doing it with clenched fists and clenched teeth. Finally, walks into Nineveh, speaks a five-word sermon, and the entire city gets saved, or repents, or whatever you want to say. And uh, wow, so in Jonah 4, we're actually going to start in chapter 3, verse 10, but in Jonah 4, what we're going to see is Jonah's reaction to being the most effective preacher who ever lived. And uh, if you've been around, I'll give you a hint, it's going to be very Jonah-esque. Um, before we read it, I want to point something out. There's a, a word in this passage used in a lot of different ways. It's the Hebrew word for evil. Uh, it's translated uh, both in ways that mean moral evil and circumstantial evil. Maybe, maybe, you could, uh, maybe a modern-day parallel would be the word sick. You might say um, the actions of that serial killer are sickening. They make me sick. Or you could say that Thai food makes me sick, Right? Different uses of the same word, right? One is a moral revulsion, and one is a, like, literally, I feel sick. Uh, the Hebrew word for evil is the same, the same thing. It can mean a moral evil, or it can mean, like, suffering or disaster. And this word is uh, used several times in this passage in very unexpected ways. So what I'm going to do, this can be, I don't normally do this, uh, but whenever that word occurs... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it as evil. So it's, it's gonna if you have an ESV, it'll be translated disaster, it'll be translated evil, it'll be translated discomfort. I'm just gonna read it as evil because the author uh, is using this word in some really interesting ways. He's he's uh, demonstrating how God is going to deliver Jonah out of his evil, out of the evil of his heart. So um, that'll happen three. It'll happen four times. Chapter three, verse ten. Chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 2, and chapter 4, verse 6. All right? So uh, let's dive in. This is Jonah 4. This is uh, Jonah's reaction to God's mercy and then God's continuing mercy to his disobedient prophet. So starting in chapter 3, verse 10. Again, every time that word comes up, I'm just going to read it as evil, okay? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the evil that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his evil. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die 
than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and uh, just the immense patience you have demonstrated to your people. Just pray this morning that uh, we would just see ourselves in these interactions and learn and grow and embrace your compassion. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This crazy story uh, about two weeks ago. A uh, 17-year-old wore a prom dress that had some lilies on it. And one of the uh, social justice warriors in our culture uh, called it cultural appropriation, uh, stealing the culture of someone else uh, for one's own benefit, which is just crazy. And then uh, Christians and people on Fox News uh, derided and made fun of this person for weeks Okay, not the girl with the dress, the girl, the guy who commented on them, okay? Uh, any ideas on what those people have in common? The cultural appropriation people and the Fox News people? What about people who, uh, who dance in sexually provocative ways and Christians who are so legalistic that they refuse to allow anyone to dance at all? What do they have in common? Any guesses? What about the... Uh, what about that supposedly Christian man who commits adultery and walks out on his family and the family who says, we will never forgive him? What do they have in common? Uh, what we see in this passage is that they have in common this crazy, crazy Bible verse. Psalm 145.9 says, the Lord is good to all, all, and his mercy is over all he has made. People who are enemies, who could not be further apart, share the fact that God is merciful to them and that God's heart is tender for them and that God's pity is for them. And this is something that we can uh, certainly maybe agree with in theory, but when the details start getting worked out, that God loves and wants to be good to the people that I am tempted to hate, that's where this passage gets real challenging. That God is good to my wicked co-worker who stole my promotion, that God longs for their good. That's where, that's where we find Jonah this morning. God has been good to his enemies. And what we're going to see is uh, God's pity is not just present. It is very complex. God's mercy causes him to treat people in different places in different ways. We're going to first see God be merciful to his bratty believer, Jonah, and we're going to see him be merciful to the blind world that he loves. Let's see. So first, we'll see uh, God patiently teaching his bratty kid, Jonah. All right. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10, all the way to chapter 4, verse 3, is Jonah throwing a temper tantrum at God for being nice to people Jonah doesn't like. Okay. Uh, just notice that 
I hope that reading the word evil thing wasn't confusing to you, but it's so important because in verse 10, uh, the Ninevites turned from their evil. God turned from the evil he was going to do to them. But guess who's still evil here? 4-1, Jonah. It's still evil. The whole world is in a good place now, except for Jonah. He's the only guy who is in evil. And uh, then Jonah, again, uh, this was about a month ago, I started a lesson off by asking you guys if it was ever okay to make fun of other people's prayers. And you guys all said no. No way. Okay, read this prayer. All right, first, uh, in verse 2, Jonah justifies his sin. He says, hey, God, here's why I ran away from you and disobeyed you, because I knew you were going to do this. Um, And second, he takes the scriptures that reveal God's goodness, and he throws them in his face. Uh, He basically quotes Exodus 34 here, which says that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from evil. He says, I hate that you're like that. He'd rather die than live with a God who loves his enemies. And now, um, you guys have all seen temper tantrums, right? Now, I'm, I, think, I think I'm probably the only parent in this room. I'm the only one who deals with them on a daily basis, okay? But you've all seen, all right? A little two-year-old running around a restaurant, public place, in the church hallways, all right? And everything's just going great. We're smiling, we're being cute, okay? Then one thing happens that they don't like. They get hurt, they, hurt, they hear the word no, right? Or they can't have something. And all of a sudden, we go from zero to 100. I want more Nola Bar. That's my daughter, right? Nola Bar is how she says granola bar. All right, you've already had three, sweetheart, you know? I don't want to put a jacket on. It's 40 degrees outside. You have to, right? And uh, we just explode over nothing. It's irrational. It's, it's crazy. And uh, Jonah, after all of his unrepentance and in the middle of his hard-heartedness, is now in a place where he is so low and so blind that he is throwing a temper tantrum at God because God is loving. That's where he's at. And uh, we might find ourselves here in just a moment. Uh, Verse 4, the Lord asks a very simple question. Do you do well to be angry? The answer, of course, is no. But uh, let's look at a couple of reasons why Jonah might be angry and uh, see if we can understand. Uh, First, uh, Jonah is angry uh, because God has been merciful to his enemies. All right, the Ninevites uh, were uh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was a a rival to Israel. They were in equal playing fields at this point, but pretty soon Assyria would would come and conquer Israel, right? Um, And so what Jonah wanted was for God to be good to his country by being bad to all the other countries, right? So this is your... uh, He's kind of partly a racist and partly a guy who believes that God's on America's side only and only answers Americans' prayers, right? And uh, this book's really hard on Jonah. I've been hard on Jonah. But just imagine, imagine maybe where he might be. Um, Imagine someone, a wicked person, drastically altering your life. So we had a terrible school shooting, okay, in Texas this past week. Imagine uh, that guy killed your little sister in a school shooting, okay? Imagine you or one of your friends, all right, is sexually assaulted. It wrecks your life. You never recover, all right? And uh, the guy who does this, his name is David, all right? And every time you hear the name David, uh, I think it's David in here, sorry, David. Uh, It's a common name, Uh, John. Is there a John in here? Okay, John, it's John, all right? Uh, John, and uh, every time you just hear the name, you've never had a friend named John since. Every time you hear the name John, it's all you can think about. 
Anyways, uh, you're scrolling through uh, your news app one day, and you read this article that sends chill down, chills down your spine, and it reads, mass school shooter becomes Christian, is converted. And you watch a little clip. Turns out it's the guy who killed your little sister. And he, he has new life. And you can just watch him speaking. And he has new life in Christ. His sins are forgiven. He's not dealing with the guilt of what he did anymore. He's cleansed in Christ. You're still picking up the pieces. He's happy in the Lord. How are you doing then? Right? How's that go? When God shows goodness to someone who's been evil to you. You might find yourself kind of angry. Um, so again, Jonah's in a bad place, but we can very easily get there. Uh, there's a more general reason Jonah is angry. I think that might be a little more applicable to everyone in this room. Uh, he's not getting what he wants. Do y'all see that? Uh, this whole chat, this whole book, all he has wanted is for Nineveh to not do well. That's all he wants. Just one thing, God. Just blow the city up. Come on, you know? Right? Just one thing. And, and, the, and his first choice is like, okay, I'm going to disobey God so they get blown up. All right? That doesn't work. He's like, okay, I have an idea. Maybe if I obey God, maybe if I do what God says, then he'll give me what he want, what I want. Okay? So I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to preach. I'm going to do it with clenched teeth. I hate these people, but I'm, I'm going to do it. All right? And he does his part of the bargain, and God does not do God's part of the bargain. Maybe that's a little more close to home. Um, maybe there have been times when you've been looking up at heaven and say, Lord, I'm in church, right? I'm doing my quiet times. I'm being good, right? Can you throw me a freaking spouse here, you know? Come on, you know, right? right? Give me what I want. I just want one thing, okay? Give me a good job. Help me not feel lonely, Okay? kind of an ugly place to be in if you think about it but we're going to see uh we're going to see god's love meeting a bratty believer in a really ugly place um we listen to a lot of uh, christian kids music in my home you would be shocked at how catchy it can get and how much it can get stuck in your head anyways there's this version i'm, I'm sure any of you raised in the church have heard the song jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so well there's this slugs and bugs version of that song that has a few refrains and a, and a few verses. And one of the verses goes like this. It goes, Jesus loves me when I'm bad, when I talk back to my dad, when I whine and groan and pout and stick my bottom lip right out. Yes, Jesus loves me. Now, that's, a, that's, my, that's my foster daughter's favorite song, which is really funny because she does all those things a lot. Anyways, um, but uh, <laughs> that's a silly kid song, Okay. <laughs> But there is some really serious theology there. The love of Jesus really does meet you in the middle of your brattiness. It's not like you get grumpy with God and he leaves the building. You might feel that way because your sin has consequences, right? But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't leave you when you're throwing a temper tantrum. He meets you there. And he meets Jonah here. And uh, the way God's pity and compassion for his bratty believer the way he meets Jonah is through teaching him, through some divinely appointed circumstances. Uh, notice in verse 6, the Lord God appoints a plant and makes it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his evil. Now, the language here helps us know that this, uh, this plant scene, this is very confusing. If you guys were confused, it's okay. I was confused for the first 20 times I read Jonah. Um, 
but he gives Jonah a living parable, a circumstance in his life. He appoints it so that Jonah can learn a lesson about compassion. We'll just walk through the lesson really quickly, okay? So first, he appoints a plant to go over Jonah's head, to be a shade over his head, all right? Again, notice that Jonah is, uh, this is verse 5, Jonah's sitting outside the city. What do you see what happens? He's waiting for Nineveh to screw up and get destroyed. He's still set on it, right? Okay? Anyways, uh, he's still set in his evil, and God meets him and gives him some shade, right? And for the first time, maybe in his entire life, end of verse 6 says, Jonah is happy. He's exceedingly glad. Like, finally, he's got a smile on his face, you know? And you can, you can imagine. You can imagine him, right? He's like, finally, God's doing something for me, right? Finally, I get to enjoy something. The plant's shading him, and it's covering him. And things are great, okay? He's happy. And you can, you can almost imagine the way he loves this plant, how mad he gets. You can almost imagine he's, like, named the plant. You know, like, he's the guy, you know, in Castaway, when he gets so crazy, he, like, names the ball Wilson, okay? Like, this is where Jonah's at. He hasn't talked to anybody in weeks because he's such a terrible person, right? He's named the it's my plant, Bob. Okay, Bob, you know, like, he's having conversations with this plant. Anyways, he loves the plant. But in verse 7, God has got a difficult lesson to teach him. Um, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God took away the thing that Jonah loved so much. And then he, then he, then he, uh, then he helps Jonah feel the heat. Verse 8, the sun rises, God appoints a scorching east wind, and the sun beats down on the head of Jonah so that he is faint. God is letting Jonah feel how bad it is to lose something he loves. Um, And, of course, Jonah, in very Jonah fashion, says, let me die, okay? And then God asks him a really interesting question in verse verse 9. This is where it gets a little bit confusing, and this is where the whole point is. We'll, we'll walk through this carefully. God said to Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And surprisingly, God agrees with Jonah this one time. It's a, he agrees that, that Jonah should be mad for losing something he loved, that it should hurt him. And then he says in verse, uh, verse 10, here's the main lesson maybe of the whole book you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night and should not i pity nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle so let me back up and i'll explain this okay god has just given jonah something he really liked a plant that he enjoyed maybe even named okay that he he had affection for this thing it wasn't even his Jonah didn't make it. He didn't create it. Nothing. He just got to enjoy it. And then God took it away, all right, to teach him the pain of losing something that he really loved and enjoyed. And then God says, if you do well to feel bad about that, then certainly I, the maker of heaven and earth, who has an affection for all of my creation, who made it, who brought it into being, surely I can pity 120,000 people, right? People who don't know the right hand from the left, as we'll see later, right? And also much cattle. <laughs> That's a hilarious way to end a book of the Bible, okay? God's like, if you pity a plant, I can pity some cows, man. Come on, you know? Like, I don't want the cows to die. Anyways, um, so God shows mercy to Jonah by appointing particular circumstances to teach him spiritual lesson. 
There's a preacher who said that God takes our adversity and makes it our university. That's what's going on here. God's given Jonah something hard to teach him something very particular. He's given you guys some hard things in his mercy to teach you some very particular things. So God graciously, like a father, handles the temper tantrums of his bratty people for their good. And we've got to step back and we've got to ask, how can God do this? I mean, Jonah's at a place now where he is shaking his fist at heaven and hating God for loving people that Jonah doesn't love. That's where he's at. Think about that. It's a dark place. And yet God meets him, not with judgment, but with grace. And guys, in the only way, and the same thing, when you're discontent and you're angry, like, you know what that is? That's the same thing Jonah's doing, right? You're shaking your fist at God who ordained your circumstances. You're mad at God for not giving you what you want. How can God meet us there? The only reason God can meet us here is because later, much, a long time after Jonah died, God became a man, and he took the death that Jonah deserves here, that Jesus paid for what Jonah deserves, so that Jonah now can have a relationship that's so secure, that's so built on a foundation of love, that he can be like this and experience mercy. If you're a believer in Jesus, the reason that God can meet you right in the middle of your brattiness is because Jesus has paid for your brattiness. He's borne it. He's borne the guilt. If you feel like God's abandoned you because you're angry at him, you're wrong. He's teaching you. He's waiting to be merciful to you. And this, uh, this glorious gospel reality, this kind of Jesus loves me when I'm bad theology helps us to have the freedom to ask a very tough question of ourselves this morning, and that is, are you being a brat with the Lord right now? Are you uh, angry at God being nicer to others who deserve it less than you? Do you have that kind of attitude when you look at other people having good things happen to them? Those are temper tantrums at God. Are you doing that? Listen, guys, it's not like admitting that, looking in the mirror and owning that does not change God's affections for you. It might change your experience of those affections because your sin breaks, right? Your sin blinds you to God's good. But, but just admitting who you really are does not, does not change God's affections for you. He loves you. Just admit it. Start there. But maybe, uh, maybe you're not there. I, th- I, think, I think there are, I've been there. Um, I think there are times when we're not there. Um, maybe you feel like you're genuinely, you know, I'm, I'm trying. Like, I'm not, I'm not legalistic, but like, I'm pursuing the Lord. I'm trying to be humble. I'm doing my relationships. I'm not being a weenie, right? Um, I'm in the Word. I'm trying to minister to unbelievers. And uh, maybe you've experienced in trying to not be like Jonah, in trying to actually embrace God's love and, and send that to, love to others, maybe you've just found that you just fail at that all the time that you're not as disciplined as you want to be, right? That you're not who you should be. And I just want to say, the, the best way to, to really see that you're a sinner is to really try hard to love Jesus and obey him. And um, um, I've just been really broken this week. I had a, uh, we just finished a series on evangelism in Connect. And uh, I had this, like, wonderful evangelistic opportunity uh, last Sunday and just blew it. Okay, I'll just tell you the story. I was a, uh, we got back into town. I was out of town last weekend, and uh, I'm making a 
Sunday evening Harris Teeter grocery run with every other person in Mount Pleasant, okay? And uh, um, anyways, I pull up, and there is this uh, lady, like, frantically with her hood up, like, talking to someone, like, not going well, okay? And I don't know anything about cars. Like, you, you would be, if you have car trouble, calling me might make your problem worse, okay? Um, but I just thought, you know, like, I just... I got, I got to try. Like, I can't just let this, you know, lady sit out here baking in the sun and not help her. So I tried, and uh, almost, I think, I think by a, a miracle of the Lord, her car started. Uh, but in, in the five minutes I was with her, here's what I found out about her, okay? She, uh, she's 39. She is pregnant by her boyfriend she's known for five months, and currently he is too hungover at 4 p.m. in the afternoon to help her, okay? And uh, I just interacted with her, and... Uh, she was walking away, and she was like, thank you so much. You've been such a blessing to me. You're just such a peaceful person. And I was like, like I, I, like, like I was like so caught off guard, I just let her walk away. And she left, and I left. And I just thought, like, this lady is going to need Jesus more in her life right now than any other time. You know, she's basically facing single motherhood, right? And it's not like I didn't want to share the gospel with her. It's not like I, like, hated her in my heart or was judging her, right? I just blew it, right? I was just weak. I wasn't ready. And that's going to happen to you guys a lot as you, uh, as you pursue Jesus. And here's the wonderful thing about this passage. If God is patient with brattiness, okay, surely he's patient with foolishness and weakness, right? If you made a couple of dumb decisions that are really messing your life up right now, or if, you've, um, if you just find yourself struggling, God is patient to you in your lack of discipline. He's patient to you and, and this, the, the personality sins you just stumble through, right? He's not condemning you. He's teaching you. He's working in your life. He's patient with you. Um, so he's patient. Whether you're a brat or you're weak, he's patient. But wherever you are, okay, don't miss this. God is teaching you through the circumstances he's appointed in your life. In fact, he's giving you your particular circumstances to teach you a particular lesson look at your life okay and stop for a day just stop asking for this bad thing to go away and start asking for wisdom to understand what god is trying to teach you through it the plants in your life that are so nice are god appointing them the worms that eat those plants and make you wish you would die god's appointing them and through all of it he's speaking to you open your eyes open your ears okay so god's uh, god's mercy it teaches bratty and weak children, but it goes further than that. We don't want to miss uh, the whole point of this passage. God's pity reaches a blind world. God sees the brokenness of the world, and he runs to it. He seeks to heal it. Look again at, uh, at verses, uh, verse 11. We'll just see a moment uh, God's abounding compassion. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. First, God pities Nineveh. If you haven't been here with us, if you've forgotten about this, Nineveh at this time was probably the capital of wickedness in the whole world. All right? They uh, would skin their enemies and use their skins as decoration. So you like, walk into their house and like, oh, look at that guy. You know, That's, that's how savage they were. Okay? They were terrible. Right? Um, terrible people. They were immoral. They were godless, right? And they are the object of God's pity. You know, I, I visited San Francisco. Um, anybody here from California? OK, 
Okay, good, I can say this. Fantastic, all right? Um, I visited San Francisco um, a few years ago, and uh, it was wonderful. But I soon realized that the people of San Francisco in general do not deserve the city of San Francisco. Um, no offense. Uh, let, me, let, me give you some, let me give you some scenes, okay? Let me give you some scenes of San Francisco, all right? Homeless man with a sign that says, I need money so I can buy drugs, and people giving him money, all right? Uh, I didn't see this, but one of my friends who lived there said that his first day at work in San Francisco, a giant band of streakers ran by in the middle of downtown San Francisco, and they are protected by city ordinances to do so as they please, okay? Welcome to San Fran, guys, you know? Great sourdough bread, right? Anyways, all right? <laughs> Crazy stuff like that. Those people are the particular objects of God's pity and compassion. Sins that shock you, right? Notice, uh, notice why. The great city is made up of 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. There are individuals made in God Im God's image who are so spiritually blind, they don't know which hand is which. They're like this. They don't know how to walk. They're blind. God, we see sin only. God sees sin, and he sees behind the sin spiritual blindness, right? You might get mad at a guy if he's, like, texting and walking and, like, runs into you, right? But if a blind person, like, bowls you over, most likely what you're going to feel is pity for them. And God looks at this world full of brokenness, injustice, evil, and he pities the school shooters, right? He pities those people. And uh, he pities the cattle, all right? We're not going to camp here, okay? Uh, but um, when you watch uh, planet Earth and you see the lion destroying the antelope and you're like, yes, God pities both of them, okay? He pities the cattle. He, he does not like any of his creation to perish. His pity is abounding. So what do we do with that? What do we do with God's uh, abundant and abounding mercy? Now listen, you, uh, you so blind, you don't know your right hand from your left? There's always somebody in the crowd this big, right? There's somebody in here. Maybe you're, you've been pretending your whole life, right? And honestly, when it comes to embracing salvation by Jesus, you have no idea what you're doing. Maybe you've just started this whole Christian thing, and you realize, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Listen, the good news here is God does not repel blindness. He runs to it, right? If you are broken and you have no idea what you are doing, God runs to that. He, he, he run, Jesus, when Jesus saw lepers, the most contagious, unclean people of his day, he didn't just heal them. He grabbed them and healed them. It's God reaching to you this morning. But many of you guys aren't there. Many of you guys know your right hands from your left, generally. Okay, uh, Don't forget that this book began with God's invitation to Jonah to take the news of his great compassion to other people. The whole book has played out what happens to people when they reject that. The whole book has played out to what happens when believers live like they're indifferent or hate unbelievers. We've seen the ugliness. And maybe you're not getting on a ship to Tarshish or hoping all the pagans perish, but maybe you're a Christian 
and you're spending your whole life on yourself. Maybe you haven't given serious thought or effort or prayer or time to one person's salvation this year. And if you're there, what I want to say, God's patient. He's pity. He's not mad at you. Okay. But he desires for you to go with him in the story of his love to others. In fact, in fact, he, God's compassion compels your compassion. Right? Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ compels us. The fact that God's heart is big, that it's been big towards us, compels us to take that to others. And he compels us to do so even if it costs us something. Even if our lives look unusual. Even if they're not quite as fun as they used to be. Right? So this week... Um, cultivate compassion and reach out to lost people around you. Everybody's got a boss or a coworker or a sibling or someone. Cultivate compassion for them. See them on Judgment Day apart from Jesus. Right? You got somebody you really, you really struggle with at work or somewhere? See them on Judgment Day apart from Jesus, and then you can have compassion. And then invite them into your life, and then teach the gospel with them. So in closing, uh, St. Patrick uh, is someone that everyone knows who his name, his name, but no one really knows his story. It is a, it is a travesty that Americans celebrate St. Patrick's Day by drinking green beer. Um, let me just tell you his story real quick, okay? Uh, St. Patrick was a Christian-educated Roman citizen, all right, uh, who lived in Great Britain and rejected the gospel his entire childhood. He's like the equivalent of the, so we have a church here, or a school here at uh, East Cooper, and this PCA, and these PCA kids, all right, are the most privileged of all people in the world because they've had the gospel at home, at school, all, their whole lives, right? And uh, Patrick was one of those guys, and he steadfastly rejected it, okay, until he was 16. And then he was captured by Irish raiders and forced to work as a slave in Ireland for six years under some of the most brutal conditions you could imagine, all right? And lo and behold, when life was peachy, Patrick was an unbeliever. As a slave in the field, he gets converted. You could almost imagine, again, this isn't a part of the story, but you can almost imagine, okay, that being a slave taught Patrick how he was a spiritual slave to sin, right? That his circumstances were speaking to him in the way that God is speaking to Jonah here. Anyways, uh, apparently in a dream, God comes to Patrick, lets him, helps him escape. So he's converted, he gets back home. Everybody's excited to see Patrick. They're expecting him to kind of embrace life. And instead, Patrick cannot get over the idea of going back to the people who enslaved him for their salvation. And Ireland was a a very brutal place. They were ruled by all sorts of horrible kings. They had this druid pagan religion that would partake in child sacrifices, all sorts of stuff, okay? And uh, Patrick went for the rest of his life um, always running away from some king trying to kill him, always distressed, always persecuted, but he stayed. And almost any truly Irish person, if they're Christians, owe their salvation to St. Patrick. And it's just a story that uh, even people who resist the Lord for a long time, when God's working, his lessons take heart, right? Patrick got it, and he got it so well it sent him to others. And so wherever you are this morning, just take confidence that God is going to finish the work he began in your life. 
that the circumstances he's arranging in your life to teach you, the things he's doing that you don't like, they are eventually going to have its effect. And with that in mind, embrace what God's doing. Love lost people this week, even if you have to fail forward or don't know what you're doing. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you for your grace um, in the lives of your people. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you that your heart is abounding and full, compassionate. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you'd meet us in tender places right now. You'd help us to walk in repentance. Um, I pray you just give us a heart for lost people. I just confess my indifference to many of them. I just pray you'd change me. In Jesus' name, amen.